Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. Welcome, welcome. And thank you so much for tuning in to part two of today's case. Trust me when I say you do not want to miss it. Just a reminder that I do have a new YouTube channel where I cover old and new cases alike, You can follow me there at Mama Margot. Also, feel free to like and comment on videos. That is always so nice to interact with viewers that way. And just so you know, I don't have that many videos up there, but my intent is to put the audio portion, at least of all the uh, episodes I've already done, onto YouTube. So that will be coming soon. But also, my intent is to actually put out new videos of cases I haven't covered on there as well. A quick recap for this part two, Angela Wilder was a mom of three and she was pregnant with her fourth child when she was brutally murdered in the home she shared with her fiance, Chris. Through investigation and a DNA link, detectives would arrest and ultimately bring Angela's ex-husband and former airman, Richie Wilder, to trial. But he wasn't the only one who would pay for Angela's death. Join me today as I bring you part two of the tragic story of Angela Wilder. Now, let's dig in. My main sources for this episode remain the same as part one, but they include a book by C.J. Wynn titled Wilder Intentions, Love, Lies, and Murder in North Dakota, an episode of Dateline titled Prairie Confidential, and an article in KFYR-TV. So we all know, because you listened to part one first, what happened to Richie. He was convicted and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. But did he work alone? So let's talk about Richie's wife, Cindy, for a minute. I know, mind's blown. She's an interesting character. By the time that she was 21, she had been married and divorced. She had gotten a DUI and had a string of boyfriends. She met a guy named Matthew Walters that she really liked. But he had a girlfriend at the time and he ended up putting Cindy in the friend zone. Ouch. She didn't like that too much. So she blocked him on all social media. She blocked his number on her phone. But listen, put a pin in that name, though, Matthew Walters, because I'm going to get back to him in just a minute. So Cindy goes on after, you know, she basically uh, blacklists Matthew Walters. And she met a man named Richie Wilder at a company that provided vocational services for adults with disabilities. They both work there, right? So she asked this guy, Richie, to go to a New Year's Eve party with her, and they ended up hooking up on their first date. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just telling the story here, okay? So they stayed in her apartment for three days straight, both of them calling out sick from work. By February, two months after, you know, they had met and started dating, They were living together. By April, she was pregnant. And according to the book, Wilder Intentions, Cindy had stopped taking her birth control without telling Richie. But apparently he was fine with it. He put a ring on it in May on Mother's Day, and they were married by August, only eight months after their first date. 
So Richie got a job working in an oil field and he would be gone for long periods of time. On his custody weeks, because remember, he did have his two other kids. Cindy took care of Amy and Nathan when Richie was at work. So one night, two months before their baby was due, she started having cramps and she asked a neighbor to take her to the hospital. Two days later, she delivered their daughter at just three pounds. Now, this is baby Beth that we talked about earlier in part one. So the baby had to stay in the hospital for six weeks until she was big enough to come home. So, of course, things were super stressful for Cindy. So Richie had his mom come from Alabama to North Dakota to stay with them and help around the house. To compound the stress, the custody battle was continuously raging between Richie and Angela. In September of 2013, the exes were back in court. It was during this time that Cindy asked Richie, quote, wouldn't life be easier without Angela, end quote. Now, Richie answered back, quote, we can't do anything right now. She's pregnant, end quote. Angela was pregnant with Chris's son, Carter, at that time. During all of this drama, Cindy was still working at finishing her college degree to fulfill her dream of being an elementary school teacher. So in the spring of 2014, Cindy graduated from college and in the fall, she completed her student teaching requirement. She was able to work that year for the school that she student taught at. And then the next year, she got a contracted teaching position at another school. And this would have been for school year 2015 through 2016. So that brings us to the morning of November 13th, 2015. Cindy dropped Amy off at school, remember, and noticed all of the police cars with their lights on and the crime scene tape surrounding Angela and Chris's house which, by the way, was right across the street from the school that Amy attended. Cindy saw a text message from Richie saying that he was allowing the police to search their apartment and that he had agreed to go down to the station to talk to them. So Cindy freaks out when she reads this and she tries to call him back, but his phone just rings and rings and rings and goes to voicemail. Late in the afternoon, just before the kids were ready to go home, Cindy saw the school resource officer. He told her she needed to make her way to the principal's office right away. Now, listen, even as an adult, as a teacher, it would terrify me if I was called to the principal's office. So when she got to the principal's office, she was handed a warrant to impound her car by two Minot detectives. Before they left with her car, they needed to ask her a few questions. So they asked her about her relationship with Angela, which she was like, what relationship? It's non-existent. She and Angela had once been the go-between for arranging when they would exchange the kids on custody weeks but that had morphed into Chris and Richie doing it. She said she hadn't talked to Angela in close to two years by that point. The detectives wanted to know if she could verify Richie's whereabouts for the night before, like the night in question. And she was like, sure. She said he worked from 7 p.m. until 11 p.m. He got home between 11.30 and 11.45 p.m. They were tired. He brushed his teeth and they went to bed. She woke up twice during the night at 1.30 a.m. and once around 3 a.m., And she told them that Richie was in bed with her both times that she woke up. At this point, detectives seemed to be dancing around the subject of what had happened at Chris and Angela's house. But Cindy wouldn't take the bait and wouldn't come out and say she knew it was Angela. Finally, though, they told her that her husband's ex-wife had been murdered. Then they dropped the big question. Did she or Richie have any reason to want Angela dead? And Cindy was like, no. In all of Richie's extensive interrogations and times that he blabbed to cellmates, 
He never once, not once, implicated his wife, Cindy, in Angela's murder. Minot detectives, however, suspected that Cindy had something to do with it. So buckle up those helmets, True Crime Army, because this story is about to take the wildest twist ever. Remember back when I told you that Cindy had gotten mad at her old flame, Matt, when he chose another girlfriend over her before she met Richie? Well, now that Richie was in jail, our girl reached out to Matt on Facebook Messenger and started messaging him back and forth. So she must have gone into there and unblocked him. And then she, you know, started this messaging again, which I think is so crazy. For months, Cindy and Matt had been messaging each other. And some of the things that Cindy wrote to him made him feel kind of, I don't know, let's say icky. Some of the messages that Cindy sent hinted to Matt that she had something to do with Angela's murder. So he decided he needed to let the police and Minot know what she had told him. Imagine this. Matt called the detectives and read a few of the messages that Cindy had sent him. Matt told them, quote, she said they never found the knife or clothing or shoes or anything. He needed to just keep his mouth shut. I have kept so much inside for over a year and I'm surrounded by people who are always asking me questions. And guess what I say? I say, I don't know. I wasn't there, end quote. Now, Matt had written her back saying something about using a knife was a pretty stupid way to kill someone. And Cindy wrote back immediately saying that the knife was a backup. Richie was supposed to use a gun, but it kept jamming. So he went with the knife. Once Cindy started writing, the words came out like word vomit. She said, quote, I am angry, annoyed all the time, end quote. Matt asked her if she was annoyed with Richie, to which she wrote back, quote, I'm annoyed with myself, but yeah, also annoyed with him too and stressed because he is making this a lot harder than it should have been, end quote. Matt asked her, how is Richie making it harder? To which Cindy wrote back, quote, because he won't keep his mouth shut and he talks too much. He's been running his mouth and making up stories and just digging himself a deeper hole, end quote. Now, detectives are reading this and they are stoked. This was exactly what they needed. They proposed an idea to Matt. Would he be willing to come to North Dakota and wear a wire while he met with Cindy in person? Now, he wasn't super thrilled about this idea because he was pretty sure that Cindy was a sociopath. But he also knew that she needed to face the consequences of her actions. And with that, he agreed to the plan. Matt was now confidential informant 17. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru, Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. 
Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Cindy was pretty excited when Matt told her that he was coming up to North Dakota to see some old friends. He was like, hey, you want to meet up with some friends? And of course, Cindy jumped at the chance to see Matt again. She was no longer teaching full time and was embroiled in a custody battle for Amy and Nathan with Angela's mother. She was also finding out that raising three kids on her own wasn't a walk in the park. Am I right? I mean, I have three kids and that ain't easy. While Matt was in town, Cindy was home getting herself all dolled up while across town, Matt's car was getting wired up by detectives. He picked her up and they made small talk on the way to the bar where they were meeting up with Matt's friends. They stayed in the bar for a few hours talking to the friends and talking to each other, but the background noise was so loud that Matt's wire couldn't even catch anything that was said. So according to his interview with Dateline, he actually used an app on his phone to record their conversation while they were inside. Nothing significant came out about the murder while they were inside the bar. But when they got back to the car, Cindy let Matt know she wasn't ready for the evening to be done. Matt drove her back to her house, but they stayed in the car for a few hours while it poured down rain outside. Cindy had still not said anything significant implicating herself in Angela's murder, and Matt, at this point, he was getting real tired. He was like, how long do I got to sit here to try and get anything out of this lady? Just as he was about ready to go, Cindy's demeanor changed. She became kind of pissy. So he, he was like, um, are you mad? She told him that she wasn't mad. She was just hateful and a miserable person. He pressed her for more and she said that she was just mad all of the time. Matt asked her who she was mad at. Was she mad at her husband? To which Cindy responded, quote, no, I'm proud of him. I'm just pissed that he got caught and that he got sloppy and impatient, end quote. It was then that Cindy let go of everything she had been holding inside for the last two years since Angela had been killed. Cindy continued with her mini tirade, quote, because we like had this thing planned for like two f years. We were just waiting, end quote. <gasps> Cindy told Matt she would go to Angela's house while Richie was at work to see if a boyfriend showed up. I guess Angela did actually have reason to be uneasy at night when Chris was at work. She was right. Someone was actually watching her. At this point, Matt's in the car. He's probably freaking out. He's probably sweating bullets. Matt pressed Cindy for more information about how she was mad at Richie. Cindy said it was because he missed the spot of blood in their car when he had cleaned up after the murder. She exclaimed, quote, one spot of blood in my car. How could he have been so careless? End quote. 
But I guess, more importantly, how did one spot of blood get on the passenger side of the car when Richie was the only one in the car after he killed Angela? So Angela told Matt that when Richie got home that night, he told her that Angela had fought back and that it was sloppy. Richie cleaned up at home, then took the knife and his clothes out of their apartment. Cindy didn't go with him, but really thought they were in the clear. She told Matt that she was mad at the Minot Police Department because they cut pieces of carpet out of her car, causing it to lose value. Now, listen, a human being, a pregnant human being, the mother of her stepchildren was dead, but she was worried about the trade in value of her dang car. Matt's listening. Matt was a little curious. And really, I have to give him props for keeping his wits about him while talking to someone who was so cold blooded. He asked Cindy about how she and Richie had planned the murder for two years. They had only been married for two years. How could she develop so much hate for Angela in that short amount of time? But it almost seems like she kind of glossed over that. Cindy went on to tell Matt that she didn't have any emotions. When the police came to her to talk to her about Angela and telling her that she was dead, she was like, "Okay." She said that she would have the same reaction, though, if someone told her that her grandfather was dead. She told Matt that she thought the kids were 100% better off without their mother. Cindy even went so far as to say that she wished Richie had flown to Florida to get this, kill Angela's mom too. What in the actual hell is wrong with people? At this point, Matt was feeling sick to his stomach and he just wanted to get the hell out of Dodge. But Cindy wasn't done with her word vomit yet. She was proud of what Richie had done, and in a super creepy way, she complimented Angela. She told Matt that Angela put up a good fight. Of course, that led to Cindy complaining about Angela scratching Richie's face and getting his DNA under her fingernails. She also bragged about what happened after Richie killed Angela. She said that when Richie got home, he showered. Then he got into bed and the two of them had sex to celebrate that he successfully killed Angela. Then Cindy got up and went to work the next morning like nothing happened. Cindy even blabbed to Matt that she was ready for Richie when he attempted to chisel out his cell in 2016. That's right. She had a change of clothes, a burner phone, a car and money waiting for him. Cindy said that if Richie had been successful in breaking out of the jail, he was going to find Paul Madriles, the cellmate that he tried to fake the signature for in a confession letter and that four-page questionnaire. Anyway, Richie was going to kill Paul, make his death look like a suicide, and of course was going to write a suicide note saying that he, aka Paul, was hired by Chris Jackson to kill Angela. True Crime Army, I seriously cannot make this stuff up. If it wasn't so sick, it would actually be a little bit comical. Three days after her night out with Matt, Cindy was arrested at the school where she had been substitute teaching. She knew that it was Matt that had ratted her out, but she had no idea that every word she told him had been recorded and was now irrefutable. Cindy was being accused of accomplice to murder and aiding her husband in his failed escape from prison. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, 
then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. Cindy's case would be ready to go to trial in July of 2017. Prosecutor Kelly Dillon, the same state deputy district attorney who had presented the case against Richie, offered Cindy a plea deal in August of 2017. If Cindy pled guilty, she would be sentenced to 20 years in prison in exchange for her cooperation. Cindy, however, rejected the plea deal and instead decided to take an Alford plea in November that same year. An Alford plea is basically saying that the accused acknowledges that the state has enough evidence for a jury to find them guilty, but continues to maintain their innocence. The judge, however, rejected the Alford plea, but accepted it after both the prosecution and the defense agreed that it would have a factor known as an open plea. An open plea means that the defendant pleads without a promise of a sentence from the prosecution. That means they have no sentence cap protection. It was a gamble for Cindy to take the open plea because it was totally up to the judge to determine the sentence. And trust me, she is going to regret this decision very much. Prosecutor Kelly Dillon led the hearing by playing the recording that detectives had gotten from the wiretap they put on Matt. She also revealed that during the pre-sentencing investigation, Cindy told the officer that she didn't believe she committed a crime and that she thought that Angela's kids were better off with her. She never showed any remorse or accepted accountability for her actions, not to mention that she and Richie had planned the murder for two years. The state recommended 25 years with five suspended on count one, which was conspiracy to commit murder. On count two, accomplice to escape, Kelly Dillon recommended five additional years, which means the prosecution was asking for 30 years. The defense didn't present any character witnesses. Instead, Cindy took the stand. Cindy took an opportunity to speak on her own behalf and Dateline showed the clip of her making her statement. She began, quote, I'm sorry that my children not only have to live without one parent, but they have to live without three parents. I still want the very best for all my children. I want them to be in a safe and loving home. They deserve the world. They deserve every opportunity. They deserve to be safe and protected. I just want them to know that I love them and will always love them, end quote. Anyone else get a little sick hearing Cindy referring to Angela's children as her kids? She was emotionless on the stand and she showed no remorse. She certainly didn't seem like she was actually sorry about anything. If anything, she was probably sorry she got caught. All right, 
So with that, it was time for the sentence to be adjudicated. If you get a chance to watch the Dateline episode, Prairie Confidential, you can actually see most of Judge Lauer's statements during the sentencing. In part, she said, quote, ultimately, whether you play the role of the puppet or the puppet master in this tragic plot is a question that may not be known. But what is known is you were the one person who could have stopped this nightmare. You were the one person who could have intervened, who could have called law enforcement when Richie Wilder left your home. You were the one person who could have spared Angela Wilder's life. You chose not to do so, end quote. Judge Lauer concluded by giving her ruling on the sentence. To count one, conspiracy to commit murder, she sentenced Cindy to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The harshest sentence allowed by law, y'all. But she wasn't done yet. Judge Lauer added another five years to the sentence for count two, accomplice to escape, and added a no-contact order on behalf of Angela Wilder's mother, Linda. Cindy now had no legal rights to Angela's children. Cindy appealed her sentence shortly after her hearing, but then withdrew it. There was no reason given. In 2021, Cindy attempted to get a new trial, claiming that she had inadequate counsel. Judge Lauer was back on the bench for this and wasn't having it. Cindy tried to establish a claim that her first defense counsel didn't adequately explain the Alford plea. She also tried to say that the second defense counsel didn't seek character statements on her behalf. KYFR News reported that Judge Lauer denied the request, stating that Cindy, quote, failed to establish that her plea was not knowingly or intelligently made and that she has not established a manifest injustice or ineffective assistance of counsel, end quote. Cynthia Louise Wilder remains incarcerated at the Dakota Women's Correctional and Rehabilitation Center in New England, North Dakota. Richie also filed an appeal after his original trial, but it was denied. The book Wilder Intention says that Richie supposedly attempted to escape from prison again when he was in Bismarck, North Dakota. However, he hasn't attempted to escape again ever since he got to that maximum security prison in Atwater, California. All right, True Crime Army, I bet you were not expecting that freaking plot twist. I couldn't believe it either. Listen, Cindy should have taken that plea deal, which she would have got like 25 years. Now she's in prison for life. All right. Now that is a tragic story of Angela Wilder. Again, shout out to my listener who recommended this case, another case that began as a domestic violence court martial and subsequently led to a murder. Very tragic. All right. That is all for this episode. If you haven't heard me say already, please make sure you go to my YouTube channel and follow me there at Mama Margot. Military Murder was created by Mama Margot Productions. This episode was written and researched by Myrtle. I love you, girl. Executive produced by Bob, Jen, Tina, Falcon 13, Nicole, and Alicia. I love you all. Thank you so much for all your support. The theme song was created by Tyops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. I was working on our podcast. I don't want to.